I'm Pastor Jeremy Bannister here at Heights, and one of the unique things of Heights Christian Church is we go through the Bible in five years' period of time. And so we do this a couple of ways. One is that we read the Bible together as a congregation six days a week. And there's a schedule of reading for the entire year that you can get on the information desk. And it's a free schedule. You just go and grab it, and it will tell you exactly what we're reading. And you can read your Bible that day. And our sermons are based in whole or in part on what we've read during the week. But if reading is sometimes a little hard for you to get around and stuff like that, we also have a YouTube channel. It's youtube.com backslash Heights Christian Church. And there we do devotionals based upon the reading of the day. We do the entirety of the reading of the day, and we also have a devotional based upon that reading, just to give you something to to take with you. Because this past week, we did a lot of reading concerning land development, didn't we? The breaking out of all the land and stuff like that. There's might have been a challenge of saying, okay, God, what, what can I learn from this? Some of you would be like, no, I got plenty out of that. So some of you guys be like, no, that was a challenge. I didn't understand. They all look like, those words look like Smith. All the letters are silent, right? So all those different names that are there. Well, that is a very unique place of scripture that we read this past week. And so we invite you guys, check out either one of those places, the online place or the, the schedule over at the information desk. Follow along with us. And in five years time, you... We'll read through the entirety of the Word of God. It's something to be excited about. Um, This week, we read Joshua 13 through 19. How many of you read this section of Scripture? Raise your hand. God bless you all. Because I had to read this one out loud. And those of you who followed online, I think I probably got about 85% of it right. Maybe. So, uh, but I did try. Yes. But there are great things that are contained within the seven uh, chapters of Scripture right here. And, and one of the things that we're going to pay attention to, really focus in on today, is this idea of receiving our reward. That's the title of the sermon today. I think one of the worst traits of this world that we are currently living in is that almost everything is instant, Right? We, we get things so quickly now. And let's get an example of how instant has affected all of us and changed us over the years. Show of hands for those of you brave enough to do it. How long can you wait for someone after a red light turns green before you politely honk at them? I have four options. So listen to the options before you raise your hand, okay? Option one, one second. Option two, three seconds. Option three, five seconds. Option four, 0.03 seconds. How many of you go with option one? One second. Raise your hands. How many of you are a three-second waiter? How many of you are the patience ones within us? You'll wait five seconds before you politely just, just tap on that horn. I don't want to disturb you. Hunk, hunk. Just barely, Right? How many of you are the .3 second people? Raise your hand. Yeah, you're the .3. Hawk! It turned green. My wife, if she could still drive, she would be the point. Am I wrong, Micah? That that is true. It's .3 seconds. If I am driving and that light has, go, go, go. They could be waiting behind you. She's teaching children's church right now. I'm safe. 
lest any of you tell on me, which is not cool. All right, let's, let's try something else, okay? Do you get mad when you choose the slowest checkout line? Have, how many of you get mad when you choose the slowest checkout line? Raise your hand. Don't point at anybody else. I'm looking at somebody. So, Have you ever switched to another checkout line that then became the slowest checkout line? Like it's moving good and then all of a sudden, okay, they're moving. We're not. I move over there and then all of those people have gone and you're still... And you just resign yourself at that point to say, if I move again, I'm going to be here until Jesus comes back. Okay? You know, entertainment used to be located in their house. You know, if you wanted to watch a show, you had to go home to watch the show. That's where the television was. Now all of us have these smartphones, right? We can watch anything, anywhere, anytime, anyplace, just like that. No patience whatsoever. Same thing with shopping. Some of us love to go to the mall. You go to the mall, it wasn't just the experience of shopping. It was the experience of going out and being with people. But now if you want to shop and you're like, well, the mall doesn't really have all that I like. So I just go online to Amazon and I type in exactly what I want. And boom, there it is. And a lot of us have changed our online experiences, even from shopping, because we don't want to go shop down the aisles at a grocery store. Who does that anymore? That's for the workers at Walmart to go pick that stuff up and then deliver it to my house, right? We have all been affected by stuff like that. As a matter of fact, some of the biggest online television series drop either partial uh, seasons or their whole seasons all at once, right? You get online and you're like waiting for the season to drop, like so it's not like week to week to week. There are still those that are out there. But a lot of times they'll drop three or four episodes at once. Why? Because they know you don't have the patience anymore to wait. Don't have the patience to wait. So we've done the whole season. So we're going to drop it here in February. We'll see you next year. Get to it when you can. Because boom, you're going to watch it all in one night. The availability of instant has not produced in us a more patient or thankful society. Just the opposite, I would say. And that lack of patience not only affects us in life, but can have eternal consequences. It just can. And we're going to be looking at that today. Two questions that we're going to be answering to ourselves concerning this idea of patience, this idea of receiving our reward. How long are you willing to wait for something you look forward to? And what are you willing to endure to receive such a promise? That's what we're going to be asking today. Because today we're going to look at a man by the name of Caleb. He's in our readings this week. It's an interesting section of scripture that we find in chapter 14 of Joshua. So if you have your Bibles, if you'll turn to chapter 14 in Joshua, we have the dividing of the land. We've had the conquest that has happened over this, these years that have, that have gone on after they've crossed the Jordan. And now we have the dividing out of the land that Joshua has given by the word of the Lord to the people 
and to the tribes of Israel. Some of it has been conquered. Some of it has not been conquered. They've sent other people out to kind of survey the land that's going to be theirs so that they can hand out the inheritance to everybody here. That's what we read this past week. In the middle of that, we have this account of Caleb, which is kind of separate. We're going to look at it and take a little background from it because in it is a great lesson, not just in patience, but in understanding of what should be built up in you and I as believers in Christ. Joshua chapter 14, starting in verse 6, we're going to read through the end of the chapter. Now the men of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, son of Jethuna, the Kinsanite, said to him, you know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me? I was, I was 40 years old when Moses, a servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land, and I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my brothers who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt with fear. I, however, followed the Lord, my God, wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever, because you have followed the Lord, my God, wholeheartedly. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses, while Israel moved about in the desert. So here I am today, 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites, who were there and their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord Helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. And Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jethuna, and gave him Hebron as, in, as his inheritance. So Hebron has been called, has belonged to Caleb, son of Jethuna, the Kinsanite, ever since, because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. Hebron used to be called Kiriath Abra, Abra, who was the greatest man among the Anakites. Then the land had rest from war. All right, so now Caleb comes to Joshua with this petition, let me go to the land that was promised to me by God himself. I'm going to go claim it. I'm, I'm, just, as, I'm just as strong as I was when I was 40 years old. And here's an 85-year-old man saying that. By the grace of God, he has his strength still. Such an interesting thing. And for those of us who may not know exactly what happened, we're going to go back to numbers because we want to look at this account in full just to understand what happened as a result of Caleb's faithfulness. So in Numbers chapter 13, we have the spying out of the land. And this happened right after. This happened right after the exodus from Israel from Egypt. So God has delivered the people of Israel from the hand of Pharaoh and by a mighty hand. And almost immediately he says, we're going to the promised land. But first thing I want you to do is I want you to send one from each tribe to go spy out the land for 40 days. And when you go spy out the land, come back and give a report from what you see there. And this is what happened as a result of that. As a result of that, you have Joshua and Caleb on one side and 10 other spies on the other side. Two saying, yes, the Lord is giving us this land, let's do it. And 10 others are saying, I don't think so. 
And so in Numbers chapter 13, starting in verse 26, we read this account. And they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the, in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. And they gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is the fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with them said, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. And they said, the land that we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we, looked at, and we looked the same to them. That night all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this desert. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. And then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephthunah, were among those who had explored that land. They tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Not only do not only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. And so the Israelite community sided actually not with Caleb and Joshua, Moses and Aaron, but sided with the others who brought the bad report. And then the Lord intervened. So we go down to verse 26 in chapter 14 in Numbers, and it says this. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, how long will this wicked community grumble against me? I've heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites, so tell them, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very things I heard you say. In this desert, your bodies will fall, every one of you, 20 years old or more, who was counted in the census and who had grumbled against me. Not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home, except Caleb, son of Jethunah, and Joshua, son of Nun. As for your children that you said would be taken as plunder, I will bring them in to enjoy the land you've rejected. But you, your bodies will fall in this desert. Your children will be shepherds here for 40 years, suffering for your unfaithfulness until the last of your bodies lies in the desert. For 40 years, one year for each of the 40 days you explored the land, you will suffer for your sins and know what it is like to have me against you. I, the Lord, have spoken and I will surely do do these things to you, to this whole wicked community which is banded together against me. They will meet their end in this desert here. They will die. 
So we see something that's much more than just, you know, God promised me something, right? We see a faithfulness against an angry mob that was willing to turn back and go back to Egypt where they came. It's hard to stand against a mob. It's hard to stand for righteousness against a mob, isn't it? I mean, come on. Let's be honest. It's hard to stand among our peers. People whom we know, if they're in disagreement with us, we, we want to make peace real easy, right? Even if it means kind of fudging on the truth a little bit. Isn't that the truth? Don't you feel that pressure when they say something that is not right, not good, and you and I, oh, we want to cave. Here's an entire Israelite community with 10 leaders who are getting everybody together and only a few, just a handful, are willing to stand for the Lord. Among them are Aaron and Moses and Joshua and Caleb. And only two of those went and looked at the land. And we're convinced the Lord brought us here. The Lord will deliver them into our hands. I'm not worried about what they look like, how tall they are, how many arms they have. We don't care. We've got God on our side. Their protection is gone. And yet, the naysayers won the argument, at least initially. And then God stepped in. And God stepped in and said, you, as a result, are now going to suffer for 40 years in the desert. You're going to suffer and walking. You're not going to see that land. You know the only ones who are going to see that land? Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jethuna. Because they were faithful. In the midst of all of that, they were faithful. Deuteronomy chapter 1 reaffirms this promise that Caleb was going to be given a special plot of land where he had put his feet down, where they had spied out that land by God himself. Joshua, uh, Deuteronomy 1, verses 34 through 36, it says this. When the Lord heard what you had said, he was angry and solemnly swore, not a man of this evil generation shall see the good land that I have sworn to give your forefathers, except Caleb, son of Jethuna. He will see it, and I will give him and his descendants the land he set his feet on, because he followed the Lord wholeheartedly. So not only will Caleb see the land, God's going to give him the very land he spied out. That land that you spied out, that's yours. That's your inheritance. That's what I'm giving you. That's what he's going and talking to Joshua about right now. And you'll notice some of the same words there. The Anak are there. And who are the Anak? Well, they're they're descendants of the Nephilim. Who are the Nephilim? They are these giant people. This is where Goliath is going to come from. This, This idea of these giant people who are standing super tall and... Man, be like standing against Andre the Giant. Have you guys ever seen pictures of Andre the Giant next to other people? I mean, it's like, whoa. I mean, there's big and then there's big, right? If you guys, any of you guys stand, stood next to somebody who's seven foot tall or taller? You, you seem, do you seem like a grasshopper in their eyes? I mean, it, it feels like it, doesn't it? I had, I had the privilege of, of being at a church where... One family had two sons. One had uh, one of their sons was six eleven. The other one was seven foot tall. 
What was so funny was was watching them dribble a basketball because they were really good at it. But because they were so tall to do it, they kind of did this. It was a funny thing to see, but you could steal a ball from him because he was really good at playing basketball. Seven foot tall. And man, you just felt small. It was like, whoa. I mean, that's what it's like. Those are the types of people in this land, even to the day that Caleb goes and says, hey, I know i got to conquer that land. I believe God is with me as he was with me then. And if it's the Lord's will, I'm going to conquer that land. No problems whatsoever. 85 years old. Think about what Caleb had to endure to receive his promise. Think about it for just a moment. First, 400 years of slavery in Egypt. Now, he's not 400 years old. But he was old enough to be 40 when they came out of Egypt. So he spent 40 years of his life in slavery in Egypt. Saw the wonders of God. After that, he decided he would be faithful to God. Seeing all that God has done, I'm going to be the faithful one. I'm going to stand. I'm going to be part of that, the clan that is being sent out. And I'm going to give a faithful report because I've seen what my God can do. And I'm going to stand on that. And you know what he got for his reward? 40 years of marching in the desert. Doesn't seem like much of a reward, but even God said, as a result of this, this is your punishment. You're going to be punished with walking 40 years in the desert. But God, that place is mine. You said it was mine, right? You've got that reserved for me, but I've got to wait 40 more years. And not just that. Then they come into the land. After crossing the Jordan, there's another at least five years of war that's going on before he's asking for this. Forty years in the desert, five years of war, conquering all of these kingdoms so that Israel can have a foothold within the land that God has promised. All of this before he even asks for the land from Joshua. I mean, as retirement plans go, that's, that's kind of rough. Don't you guys think? That's a lot to wait through for your retirement plan. And even his retirement plan involved him fighting. It's like you're 85 years old. Go get your inheritance. Fight the giants. That's what he's doing. And it was worth it for him. It was worth the wait. It was worth the slavery. It was worth the deliverance from God to see the glory of God every step of the way. It was worth seeing God fulfill his promise to the people of Israel so that every step of the way, Caleb is more and more emboldened as he's walking in faith and seeing God perform miracle after miracle after miracle, that he can stand in faith before the crowd and say, God is with us. Their protection is gone. We can take him. That 45 years later, he says the same thing. God is with me. And he's promised this to me. And I've watched God fulfill every promise that he has made. And therefore, if the Lord is with me, I will take this land. 
that he has promised me. At 85 years old, is my inheritance. And it's worth every second I had to wait for it. You see, you and I are promised a greater inheritance than that of the people of Israel. The people of Israel were promised, and obviously their promises culminate in Jesus. But in getting the land and taking that as the inheritance, it's just, it's just a glimmer of what you and I are to get, what Jesus has purchased for us on the cross up in heaven. And he's promised us a greater inheritance for those who follow him. John 14, verses 1 through 6. Familiar words of Jesus as he's getting ready to go to the cross. He says this, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. You know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas said to them, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That through Jesus Christ, we have a promise of a greater inheritance, a place that he is preparing for us. That's what he said. Whether your translation says rooms or mansions, it doesn't really matter. The point is, we're going to be with Jesus, and he wants us there. He's got a place for us. For those that believe, he is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. No man comes to the Father except through him. First Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9, talk about our inheritance this way. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, You may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you're receiving the goal of your faith. The salvation of your souls. Did you hear that? That that inheritance is locked away in heaven for you and me. Kept safe. Untarnished by the world around us. That's the promise for you and I. Philippians chapter 3. Verses 7 through 11. Paul talks about what this gift, what this inheritance means to him. But whatever was my profit, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. 
I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. You guys, hear what an amazing treasure we have? That Paul says, I I count everything that I had before as loss, rubbish, trash, refuge, burn it. I don't care. If I get Jesus, I get the inheritance I want. Do you believe that, church? Do you believe that? I mean, really, do you believe that? You know why? Because I, I think something trips us up. And you know what that thing that trips us up is? Waiting. Remember, we live in an instant society, right? As a matter of fact, the scoffers that are found in Second Peter chapter 3, talking about the end of time, listen to how they scoff, right? Verse 4, it says, they will say, where's this coming he promised? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. Don't worry about Jesus coming back. Everything's going on. It's been 2,000 years. Just get up and live your life now. Live your best life now. Do what you want to do. Everything around us screams at us to trade in the eternal for the temporal. Trade in that which Jesus has bought for us for all eternity for those things that are temporary and that aren't worth the time we spend on it. Think about it. The instance of the next high, be it emotional, chemical, financial, pleasurable, whatever, allures us to give up on the promise of God that he's given us through Christ. To become that seed that gives up after a little persecution comes our way. It's not really worth it, right? Parable of the four seeds found in Matthew. The second one, that second seed is the one when persecution comes, they fall away because of the persecution that comes from being faithful to the word. Or the pleasures that are around us that choke us and make us unfruitful. For the kingdom of God. As a matter of fact, those of us who spend what we have on our pleasures and friendship with the world ultimately, according to James, become the enemies of God. The temporal is always fighting with us. Every single minute of every single day telling you this is important, this is important, this is important, this is important, this is important. You hear the pleading of Paul. You hear Peter talking about this imperishable gift. You hear Jesus talking about the room that he's going to have for you in heaven. And we trade it out so easily for the next pleasure in this world. 
next video game, next internet site, next experience that we can have that makes us feel alive. And we have these great promises here. And did you hear what Paul was willing to give up? I will give up everything that I had before. Pharisee of Pharisees. I had all the accolades. I had all the, the, the titles that you could have wanted. I had arrived. I give it all up. It means nothing to me compared to Jesus. And not just Jesus. Notice he talked about the sharing of his sufferings. You know how Peter talked about the trials that have come in our life right now. That are called by God to refine you and me. Because our faith is worth it to God to refine you and me through trial. Through hard times. Because he wants us to find out is it worth it. Is it worth it? Do you think I'm worth it? Do you think I'm worth following? Do you think that this gift that's going to last for all eternity, me being with you, you being with me, right here forever and ever and ever, because what Jesus has done on the cross, is that good enough for you to live for me no matter what in this world, no matter what you have to go through? See, this is what Caleb went through, remember? Caleb, 40 years in the desert. War. 40 years in slavery. And he said at the end, It's worth it every single moment. And that was for land that God had promised him. You and I have an eternal reward. And we're faced with that every single day. And what it takes for you and I is what's called the perseverance of the saints. It's not saying yes to Jesus today, as we've seen, which is awesome. That the whole family, wasn't that awesome to see all these baptisms the last few weeks? It's been fantastic. But this is the beginning of a journey. And the stirring of those waters is the beginning of those times of testing that will be asked Over and over again, is Jesus worth it? Yes, you walked in the waters. Is Jesus worth it? Because you're going to be asking that question 20 years from now when things get hard and you start living for Jesus and it starts making you uncomfortable. Is Jesus worth it? What are you willing to go through and endure to receive the promise that Jesus has given you? How long are you willing to wait for something to look forward to? Because we're waiting until the end of our life to receive that which Jesus has promised or until he comes back, whichever comes first. I know some days you're looking at the world like Jesus. Is it today? I feel like it should have been last week, but Jesus, I know you know. And here's the problem. Discipline and self-control was called for you and me to do, to endure as believers in Christ. Discipline and self-control cannot be achieved through instant. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 10 and 11. Says simply this. 
Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. And I know I've said it before in different venues and probably here, but man, it seems wrong to say Bible reading is painful. Doesn't it? But it's a discipline of faith that, that, that hones us into the man of God and the woman of God that God has called us to be. But it's a discipline. I, don't, I can't learn the Bible by putting it under my pillow or putting the Bible on top of my head while I go to sleep and just hope that the words fall in there. And I'm going to remember it. It takes discipline to open up the book and say, okay, Lord, this is your word. Help me understand it. That's a real discipline. And not just to read it, but to apply it, right? Because it's talking about that those, we can read it, but we don't get the righteousness or peace. Only the ones who have been trained by it get the righteousness and peace that God wants for your life. So there's training that's involved. Anybody done training? Raise your hand. Training isn't pleasant. Training's hard. You get used to it, but it's hard. So all of our disciplines, prayer, how many, how many of you have a hard time Bible reading? How many of you, Bible reading's hard? It's okay. You know why? It's a discipline. It's okay. How many would you say it's painful? Some days it is, right? It's like open up the Bible. It's the hardest thing for me to do. But God wants that for you and for me. How many of you, prayer is a hard thing for you to do? Some people are just natural prayers. Other people, prayer is like, oh. And it's not like, Lord, I have to talk to you again. It has nothing to do with that, okay? It's just not natural. That's, that's the whole thing. It's not natural. Discipline isn't natural. Otherwise, it wouldn't be discipline. Fellowshipping together as believers as we are today, as we're commanded to do. It's painful sometimes. How many of you had a hard time getting up today? I've already talked with three people who did, so... My wife is one of them. I'm, it's like I'm throwing her under the bus today, but I promise it's just the truth. So, so how many of you getting up on, on church days? It's, it's tough. It'd be easier to go IHOP or someplace like that, right? It's like, dude, I'm really, I'm really, now some of you are hungry. It's like, I just want food now. Outreaching is not natural, is it? It's hard. How many of you get nervous and find that that's a hard thing to do? I do. But it's a discipline of faith. Discipling others. Hard to do. Giving to the things of God. That's hard to do too. It's a discipline of faith. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. God, but I want my treasure in my pocket. Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. You know, what we want, honestly, is we're in transit right now. None of us are perfect at it. It's all hard. But we have an inheritance that's guaranteed to us that's greater than that of Caleb. How long are you going to remain faithful toward it? When things get hard, are we going to give up on Jesus? When things aren't fun, are we going to give up on Jesus and stop doing those things that would draw us close to him? See, Jesus wants you and me to be faithful to him always. And, and we're not there yet. 
And this life we have here is our proving ground. And the trials that we have, God brings our way to refine our faith and to weed out those who didn't really mean it. So we can say this, like Paul did in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. He says, not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press onward toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Just a reminder, church, keep your eyes on the prize. It's worth everything you're going to be facing in this life. It's a greater treasure than you could ever imagine, and it's going to last for all eternity. And the beautiful thing about it is Jesus wants you there. He's preparing a place for you. Do you treasure it as much as he's treasured you? Do you stand with me? God wants to make you more like him, Christian. God is refining your life and using those hard things in life to change you to be more and more like Jesus, not so that you'll give up on him. So look toward the end goal, which isn't here. It's not the next video that's on YouTube. It's not the next movie that's out or television show or the next little high we're going to get from any other place. It's only found in Jesus. Everything else is going to go away. It's rubbish. And he's by far more than worth it. We're going to have our elders come forward. If you have anything to pray about today, we want to invite you to come and pray with our elders. They're men just like you. Love Jesus. We're going to have our prayer warriors coming down as well. If anybody, if, any, if there's any prayer requests at all that you want to pray for, come to, the, come to the front here and just let them pray. If there's somebody that needs the gift of Jesus Christ in their life, you know that, a co-worker, a friend, somebody else, this altar right here in the front is open for you, for me, to pray for those who we want to see come accept this glorious gift, this inheritance that is for all who call upon the name of Jesus, that we want to see them in heaven someday, and uh, getting that inheritance along with us, that place that Jesus has prepared for you and me, for them as well. If there is somebody that you want to reach out to, that is on your mind, that is on your heart, that's what this place is for. It's for you to come forward just to pray you and the Lord those people you want to reach out to but there's something powerful about coming forward committing it to God realizing that there's somebody that I need to reach out to it it makes us move to fulfill those promises that we've given to God as we close today any needs you have for prayer you come may God be glorified God thank you so much for this time that we had together today. 
Remind us often of our inheritance that you purchased on Calvary. Help us to live for you. Help us to offer this free gift to others around us, dear Heavenly Father. And Lord, if there's, if we have grabbed onto the temporal, to the things of this world, at the expense of disciplining our life towards you, dear Heavenly Father, we, we just ask that you would forgive us, that we repent of those things, we turn away from it so that we can walk anew, even this day, with you. Help us to stay strong in our faith, not just for today or this week, but for all of our life so that we can spend all of eternity with you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.